1: Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. I normally have begun in the last, what is it, three weeks with the Ukraine. I'm going to begin with a domestic issue. I want to read to you from the Wall Street Journal. Because this is so important and it's going to be dead if it's not already dead because the mainstream media have no interest in reporting their own lies. I, I have sadly concluded there is no other way uh, to address reality. There is no institute, major institution in the country that is worthy of respect or of trust. They've all been shattered, just shattered. The Medical Association, the Bar Association, the universities, the high schools, the elementary schools, the New York Times uh, they're, they're all frauds. Sorry. That's what they are. So listen to this piece in the Wall Street Journal, whose whose opinion pages are one of the last remaining. Trustable resources. In close elections, a fraction of the total vote distributed in the right places can swing an outcome, and we can never be sure what effect late news stories can have. If it hadn't been for a suspiciously well-timed report of a decades-old driving under the influence arrest in the final days of the 2000 presidential campaign, George W. Bush might not have needed 35 days in the judgment of the Supreme Court to deliver him the White House. Harold Wilson, the British Labour Prime Minister in 1970, is said to have claimed for years afterwards that England's shock defeat by West Germany in in the soccer World Cup quarterfinal that year, so depressed the national mood and turnout that it produced his surprise ejection from 10 Downing Street. That's, of course, the Prime Minister's residence in London. We'll never know what effect the October surprise of 2020, the New York Post's reporting of the discovery of a laptop belonging to Hunter Biden containing all sorts of embarrassing emails might have had on the election that year. If it had received wider circulation, perhaps in a campaign dominated by COVID and characterized by chaos, it would have been another snowflake in the blizzard of news. But the allegations in the reporting that the son of the man favored to become the next president had been selling his high level family political connections to foreigners, including suggestions of a possible cut for his father, were worth pursuing. But enough influential people in and out of government in the foreign policy intelligence complex, get that, foreign policy intelligence complex, in the media and in the big tech firms, were so alarmed that it would affect the outcome that they pulled off one of the greatest disappearing tricks since Harry Houdini made that elephant vanish from a New York stage. It took its time, but last week, the New York Times slipped the acknowledgement of the story's accuracy deep in a report about Hunter Biden's mounting legal problems. The Times, along with most other mass circulation news organizations, had essentially ignored the story in the days when it might have made a difference. But it now says it has, quote, authenticated, unquote, the laptop's contents. The concession from the paper, which serves as a sort of unofficial licensing authority for reporting by most of the rest of the media, prompted a predictable rush to self-vindication by those who had also trashed the story at the time. The Washington Post insisted its original decision not to touch it was justified because of uncertainty about its provenance. Normally, when there is doubt about the provenance of an explosive story, news organizations consider it their job to ascertain the truth. Normally, it takes them less than 17 months to do so. But normally, they don't have the cover provided by technology companies that prevented people from reading the original story. The media and tech companies that colluded in concealing this potentially critical information didn't need any excuse to do so, but it surely helped that they were given validation for their actions by an august-sounding committee of concerned letter-writers who moved quickly to discredit the story. In that famous letter, more than 50—I read to you many of their names yesterday—more than 50 former national security and intelligence officials polished their gleaming credentials and alleged that the New York Post was guilty of peddling a story that had, quote, all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation, unquote. The principal rationale for this, the letter laid out, was that the story might be helpful to Donald Trump. Russia wanted Mr. Trump to win. The story helped Mr. Trump. Ergo, it was the work of Russia. That's quite a syllogism. Using that same logic, you might conclude that Russia was also responsible for any unexpectedly good economic data that helped the incumbent, or that Vladimir Putin was behind the crime wave that had gripped Democrat-run cities. Now we can guess why so much U.S. intelligence has been so faulty all these years. I hope you hear this. Either these 50 or so grandmasters of international espionage are completely unable to distinguish Russian disinformation from real information, or they prostituted their credentials in a naked act of political hackery. I don't have their experience or deductive skills, but I'm ready to go with the latter. Please understand what I am reading to you. A columnist? of the Wall Street Journal accusing 51 of the leading officials of American intelligence of prostituting their credentials in a naked act of political hackery. It is not possible to overstate the damage the left has done and is doing to this country in subverting every single institution governmental and private of any of any stature of any significance the deeper shame here is the lack of accountability across american institutions no one who colluded with this conspiracy against the truth has even been inconvenienced by it Contacted by the Post last week, not one of the letter's signatories expressed regret or contrition. The reporters and editors at news organizations and the employees and executives of tech companies who participated in the suppression continue to be lionized for their work. This is what is so corrosive of trust and in the end of the system itself. The one way in which accountability is supposed to work is in a democracy is at the ballot box. But how can that even work when the people we want to hold accountable decide what information the voters are allowed to see? 1571 comments. Good. The question of whether the 2020 election was honest has to take into account not just the actual counting, but the lying and the suppression of truth by Twitter, Facebook, Google, YouTube. The abject prostitution of all of them of all of their names on behalf of defeating Donald Trump. Is that cheating? It's a fair question. Is that cheating? Does that, is that allowable in the question, was Donald Trump defeated honestly? That well, depends what you mean. If the issue is solely were ballots counted honestly, that is one question. Was information suppressed that would have enabled Donald Trump to win is another question. Tell me an institution that has left, a major institution, especially governmental, that is trusted by half half this country has contempt for everything associated with government. You know how bad that is? And do you know that, that that in no way bothers the left? In no way. They see it as a victory. Conservatives don't trust us. What the hell do we care? We own it all. 1-8 Prager 776. The Dennis Prager Show. Hackers capitalize on uncertainty and Russia's invasion is the type of chaos that can put American homeowners at risk of being hacked. You can expect scams like robocalls, texts for fake donations, and emails with unfamiliar attachments. We know these scams, but there's a bigger scam that's hard to detect and even harder to stop, and it could cost you your home. It's called home title fraud, and it happens when a hacker finds the title to your home online. Then he forges your signature and removes you from your home's title. Then he'll take out loans on your home and leave you in debt. What makes home title fraud devastating is you won't know you've been hacked until it's too late. You can go to your county recorder's office and check to make sure your home is still in your name, or simply visit HomeTitleLock.com, then enter your address to see if you're already a victim. It's just smart to do this. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, (laughs) HomeTitleLock.com. I don't want to embarrass my guest, but I, I adore him. I have for many years, David Brog. He's one of those uh, fighters and and, and honest. Just, he's an asset to this country, and he's made the latest PragerU video, and I've just learned he's also running for Congress in Nevada. I'll talk to him about that. Let me get to the video first. There's a very powerful video up you know, we put a video up every single week. By the way, he's executive director of the Maccabee Task Force. And the PragerU video is, Israel, what would you do? It's a, great, it's a great video. You're the prime minister of Israel in the video. And he just presents scenarios, real scenarios, not make-believe, not theoretical, and asks, what would you do? That was a very original approach to the Middle East issue, David Brog.
2: Dennis, thank you so much for having me uh, and for your kind words. And yeah, during Israel's last conflict with Hamas, I was just shocked and appalled at the criticism of Israel because it was so clear to me that any reasonable person sitting where the prime minister of Israel sits, any moral reasonable person would have made exactly the same choices that Mm -hmm. Israel made. Mm -hmm. It's just that people fail to understand the choice is confronting a leader of a free country at a time when they're under attack and fail to put themselves in that person's shoes. Uh, the video accomplishes that. And as always, um, my hat is off to your team, which took, took the video, took my words, and just made them into a fantastic presentation.
1: The combination of the presenter and, and all of us at PragerU is, is the reason we have a billion views a year. The, the, it's, there's no parallel to it. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating a fact. And people like you make this possible. The It's an interesting question about uh, using the parallel of the Ukraine crisis and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What do you think, I don't know, I, of course you, you. none of us has a perfect answer, but what do you think, the percentage of American college students identify Ukraine with Israel or Ukraine with Hamas?
2: I would, I would believe it's small, but, 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 but college students tend to view these things in an ideological bucket. So rather than put themselves in the shoes of an Israeli prime minister confronting thousands of missiles being fired at Israel's population centers, uh, they're they're told they' are taught what they consume on social media, and in the left wing media tells them that Israel's this bully, and these missiles are meaningless, and therefore they need to sympathize with Hamas in the case of Ukraine, as best as I can tell, this whole left wing echo chamber has taken a different view and here in here they're viewing the victim, Ukraine as the victim, not the aggressor. Unlike in the case of Israel where they view the victim as uh, of so so Ukraine that, as the victim.
1: That's why I pose the question. I, I'm I, I don't how many college students think that Israel is Russia, not Israel is Ukraine? When when Russia sends rockets indiscriminately to to murder Ukrainians and Hamas sends rockets indiscriminately to murder Israelis? What is the difference? Only one. Israel can protect itself better than Ukraine can. There is no moral
2: difference. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And this but this lack of a moral compass, this lack of lack of objectivity, it's so pronounced. The hypocrisy is so clear. And and yet these trends persist and run deep. And and, and no one takes a step out and questions. And the beauty of this video is it actually, to the extent someone has an open mind, to the extent someone will actually think freely, they will understand that they would do exactly what Israel did if their country was under attack with thousands of missiles, if they were moral. As we point out in the video, and unfortunately this is quite timely, not every country is so moral. So we have a country like Russia, which in Grozny, when Grozny, a Muslim republic within Russia, was trying to break away and achieve its independence – They didn't just have targeted attacks to target the militants, they razed the entire city. They had no moral boundary. And now, unfortunately, tragically, we're seeing some of this happening in the Ukraine. Israel is bound by morality. They seek to defend themselves while taking incredible steps, extreme steps to protect Palestinian civilians. And in taking these steps to protect Palestinian civilians, they endanger their own civilians. But they do it they're willing to do it they do it happily because it's a moral country that lives by a moral code that respects innocent human life the options are not doing nothing or doing what israel does tragically in this world the options are 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 doing what israel does or doing what russia does and if only dennis as you point out if only people would have an open enough mind to see the parallels between what russia is doing in ukraine what russia did in grozny and the incredible moral standards to which Israel holds itself in contrast to russia
1: the video is what Israel what would you do and it 's so so helpful and thought provoking there 's a young woman julie hartman she 's a senior at harvard and I'm, i've done i 've started a Salem podcast every week with her and she sent me a picture from Harvard of two things on a wall like on a bulletin board. One was support Ukraine and the other was boycott Israel. (laughs) It could
2: not be more clear or more stark.
1: That's right. It could not be more clear. You went to Princeton, correct? Yes, sir. Are Are you aware of how woke Princeton has become?
2: Uh, uh, I am, unfortunately. I I not only uh, went to Princeton, I I majored in something that was called the Woodrow Wilson School. What was called the Woodrow Wilson School, um, they changed the name uh, because, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. uh, they don't agree with everything Woodrow Wilson did uh, in the early 1900s.
1: Is it named after Lenin now? (laughs) All right, I'm going to come back (laughs) with you. Hold on there. I'm going to come back. Don't forget, folks, this is fundraising month. For Prager University, defending the West, defending America. Please uh, help PragerU.com. The Dennis Prager Show. Many people own coins that have not performed as well as they had expected. Some own coins that have done better than they expected. Or maybe you just want to cash out and do something else with the money. Markets change and to understand the current value of your precious metals portfolio you should get a new valuation. So I'd like to tell you about my friend and he is, otherwise I never use that term Nick Grovich. He my friend because I so admire his honesty and integrity and knowledge of the coin world, of the gold world, the silver world. He's owner of AmFed coin and bullion for over 40 years Nick has built a reputation for trust and honesty and his goal is to earn your business for life Nick won't push you to sell but when you're ready I believe he offers the best price trade and consignment deals compared to anyone right now Nick and the AmFed team are offering their exclusive coin performance review for free that's right free with a no pressure guarantee from Nick call Nick at 800-221-7694 that's 800 221 Six ninety four. Hi everybody. I'm speaking with David Brog, who has uh, done a number of videos actually for PragerU. And the the latest is out this week. Israel, what would you do? And he makes you believe you are the prime minister of Israel and asks if you are moral and rational. What would you do? So. It's a devastating video again up at Prager U. And I, I mentioned at the at the very end of the first segment with him that he had attended Princeton. When that actually meant something. And uh, like all Ivy League colleges, some worse than others, Princeton's on the worst part, I believe. Was he aware? Is he aware of how woke Princeton has become? So. You you were saying, David?
2: Oh yeah, like the um, uh, Washington uh, football uh, team. Um, they 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 left uh, the Woodrow name of Woodrow Wilson for a generic. I think it's out the Princeton School of, of Public Policy. Uh, you know, but it's interesting, Dennis. How did I first become aware that Princeton was getting so woke? Like so many things, it started with Israel, started with the Jews. So when I, when I began working at the Maccabee Task Force where we fight BDS and the demonization of Israel on college campuses, came to my attention there was a big campaign to ban sabra hummus uh, at Princeton dining halls. And when, when you saw how widespread this campaign was and how serious it was to ban a type of hummus In a dining hall because of israeli connections um it was it was the first warning sign that princeton was going woke but as as you know what starts with israel never ends with israel and unfortunately everyone who had coalesced into a coalition against israel that same coalition now is frankly attacking america and fundamental american principles and it's happening at an accelerated pace what's even more frightening though is I used to take some solace in the fact that these crazy woke ideas were confined to the, you know, within the ivy-lined walls of Princeton and within the and within the ivy-lined walls of college campuses. Uh, we saw in, in the past few years these crazy ideas breaking out of campus, taking over the, the the streets of our cities, and most tragically of all, taking over the base of one of our two political parties, the Democratic Party. In, in at this at this accelerated pace so these dangerous ideas now are not just debated in dorm rooms late at night they're not just dominating Hollywood they're now dominating Congress and the White House and and we're seeing the toll when when these crazy ideas of the left are in power innocent people suffer and innocent people die and we're seeing this now because the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress like Dina Titus are so afraid of the left-wing base of their party. Are so bald, are so running, they're, not, they're not challenging the left-wing base for the heart and soul of the Democratic Party. They are running in, in fear to the base and, 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 and making concessions to the base and in effect giving a rubber stamp to the base. And now we're seeing the toll of these ideas when it comes to inflation, gas prices, Ukraine, our border. These are real problems. That make me pine for the old liberals of the Democratic Party, who at least would have had the common sense not to enact the policies that are creating and exacerbating each of these problems.
1: So you've decided actually, which I just learned, you've decided to run for Congress in in which, in which district in Nevada?
2: This is Nevada's first district. Uh, it's a district um, which has Congresswoman Dina Titus. in the What, what,
1: city, what cities are the- in it?
2: It is Las Vegas, the Strip, and, and, and a big chunk around the Strip, and then the suburbs of Henderson and Boulder City. This was, until redistricting this year, a safe Democratic seat. You know, a plus 11 Democrat, plus 20 Biden. You know, Ronald Reagan could not have won this seat. But in redistricting, they took her Democrats away to try to shore up some other swing districts for Democrats. And they rendered her district a top target for Republicans. We have a very good chance of taking the seat in November if we have the right Republican nominee. And there are other Republicans running, but I'm the only one who comes from the faith community, the only one who comes from a long ideological background in the conservative community. I'll be the only champion. I'll be the only champion of Israel. Only champion in the fight against anti-Semitism, and frankly, the only champion of the fundamental Judeo-Christian principles that you noted undergird conservatism, and that ultimately provide any guidance or, or, or backbone to conservatives in the re- in the arena.
1: I I'm always puzzled by uh, Nevada voting, so stay on with me. I've got a couple of more questions, and uh, you'll you'll help me understand why Nevada elects Democrats, a state that was obviously so reliably Republican for so long. Dennis Prager here with David Braga's video, Israel, what would you do? You become the Prime Minister of Israel for five minutes. It's very powerful. Hi, everybody. Final segment here with David Brog who has done a number of preview videos, and the latest is Israel, What Would You Do? So he has decided, to my great delight, to run for Congress from the first district in Nevada, where he lives. And I was trying to understand, which I don't understand, Nevada politics. Outside of the Las Vegas area, is, is Nevada blue or red?
2: It is, it is largely red. It is Clark County, the county that contains Las Vegas, that provides this surplus of Democratic votes that, is often, uh, that often enables Democrats to win statewide.
1: Okay. So, in, in effect, Nevada is really like just about any other state. The big city is Democrat, and the more rural areas are Republican. So... Uh, w- Explain to me, though, why Nevada uh, is re- has now produced reliably Democratic results. Well, who live in, uh, who are these voters? Are they, are they woke suburbanites? Are they inner city uh, um, non-whites who have bought the idea that the Democrats are their saviors? Who's voting this way?
2: So a, a lot of credit is, 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 is given to the, the culinary union and the unions that organize mm-hmm. everyone who works in the casinos on the strip. Right. And this is seen as a very effective machine that, that Harry Reid, the former majority leader of, of the Senate, uh, built and created to turn out this reliable Democratic vote. But this is critical. Dennis, as you point out, these are not woke people. These these are working people who are being led to believe that the Democrats uh, have their interests at heart and will produce the best environment for them and their families. And I think that assumption is being challenged today like never before. We're seeing working class people all of a sudden taking a fresh look at Republicans and realizing that Republican leaders and Republican policies actually serve their interests better. You know, it Take nothing more than the inflation and the rise in gas prices to get people to take a second look at Democratic policies. It's killing these working class families. And then you put into, in addition to that, the cultural nonsense and extremism of the left that leaders like Biden and Dina Titus, whom I'm challenging, enable in, in, their, worst, in their worst aspects. And, and they see that this party is not a moderate party, not a party that's gonna produce better conditions for them and their family, but an extreme party. So I think we have an opportunity like never before with working class voters, with Hispanic voters, with black voters, and that's that's who that's who votes Democratic in my closely divided district. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're going to do well with Republicans, with Independents, and I think we're going to do very well with Democrats.
1: How much did she win by uh, last uh, two years ago?
2: Well, she she ran two years ago in a prior district. That I no understand. Yes, I got that. Yeah,
1: and but yeah, why did so she, she win she in
2: won, She won by a wide margin. Right. Okay.
1: Okay, I hear you. But but it's been but. redistricted, and so there's a real chance. Also, again, if the message gets across, and, and really it's just a fascinating question, will people believe that Putin is the reason for high gas prices or the printing of money lo- like it's tissue paper oh, and, the, uh, and the suppression of American energy sources so that we buy energy at, at ridiculous prices because we no longer produce as much as we did? Uh, what will they believe?
2: Uh, it's hard to say what they will believe because, as, as you know, the truth doesn't always win. Right, right. But if we can get people to look at something as simple as a chronology, and you see the rise in prices and the rise in gas prices that that, that began well before Putin invaded Ukraine, yeah, you know, it makes it very hard to buy this case that the administration is pushing so heavily that this is simply the result right. of the invasion of Ukraine. I'm sure it's exacerbating All right, things, well, this do, problem.
1: do you have a website?
2: I do. Uh, it is brogfornevada.com.
1: B R O G. Brog
2: the the ROG for the the word for nevada.com. Uh, we're off to a great start Dennis. We're 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 raising the money that uh, unfortunately you need to get your message out. We're doing a great mm-hmm. job. But I'm I'm going to need help uh, to beat Dina Titus. And I'm going to need help to make sure that the seat flips. Um, Dina Titus, this is a family show, so I won't say what she said. But after redistricting, she used some choice words to talk about how poorly uh, the Democratic state legislature here in Nevada treated her. Uh, she said that Republicans are now likely to win her district. She herself acknowledges this.
1: Well, there's hope. Look at that, everybody. Yeah. David Bragg, you're a national treasure.
2: Dennis, I really appreciate that.
1: Everybody coming from you anyway. it means the world. Well, thank you for that. His uh his the latest PragerU You video. Israel, what would you do? Thank you again, David. Thank All you. Right. For having me. Yes, bless you. All right. Uh Sean will uh will let that go and uh J in is it J? Yes, J in Detroit. Hi.
3: Yes, yes. Good afternoon, gentlemen.
1: Hi. Well, he's not on, so it's it's Gentleman. I, I, I'm on with you alone. Good afternoon, gentle sir. Yes, sir.
3: So, I wanted to uh, uh, speak about um, the comparison between Ukraine and Russia and Israel and Palestine.
1: mm mm-hmm.
3: um, I'm not a Democrat nor a Republican. Mm-hmm. I like to uh Remain fluid and objective so I can uh, uh, let me let me ask uh, you and
1: I'll, I'll trust your answer so tell me the last Republican presidential candidate you voted for the last Republican
3: presidential candidate I voted for mm-hmm. uh I haven't
1: okay so hold on I'm not letting you go. It's just when what people tell me often they're not a Republican or a Democrat and they've never voted for Republican. I'm sure, I believe them on both counts. They never voted for a Republican, and they're not registered as a Democrat. But in, in reality, they are. We'll be back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. All right, everybody. Back with my caller from Detroit. Where did he go? Yeah, Jay. Okay, Jay. All right, go ahead, my friend. Uh-oh. You You're not clear. Are you back? Can you hold on? Can you hear me? Yes.
3: All right. Now, um, I I want to present a hypothetical scenario. And you have been living in your home with your family, where your family's been living for the greater part of, say, six, seven, eight hundred years. And some Native Americans come along and say, hey, man, this is our land. We lived here. We were here a thousand years ago. We have the right to take your land by God. And we have the backing of England, and we have the backing of the United States Army and NATO. Would you gladly give up your home for these people on that claim alone? Would you feel the need to protect and defend your home?
1: I would feel feel the need to protect my home.
3: Absolutely right. So now we know that land was not always
1: Israel. Well, Israel what, now. Right. What, Israel what, is what, what was it? In. What was it other than Israel? It was Palestine. No, 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 no. no okay, that's that's correct. That, right. The land was
3: called Canaan. Right. The land was called Canaan during the yeah, biblical that's time. That's right.
1: That's right. It was called Canaan. Palestine it was called never. named okay. okay. after. Right, Canaan
3: me, was the son of Ham. Ham's other son Cush. Ethiopia, Sudan, uh, Eritrea, that whole area. Now, these were Negroes. Ham is a Negro. And all of those countries were Negro countries. Do I have the right to go back and say, hey, my people lived here in 1300 BC,
1: so I can take your well, land and take your property? Yeah, but there were no black Palestinians. I don't see the parallel.
3: It, what makes an Arab an Arab is their Negro DNA
1: you have to understand. That. Okay. It All right. if that okay, look, if that's your argument, if it's a race race-based argument, then there's nothing I can say. I tried to be honest with you. If somebody came to my home and said that they uh you know, they a Native American and that was their house, uh, it would be an issue. I agree with you. There were no there was never a sovereign country in that area of the world in the history of the world other than a Jewish state. There were three Israels, one until 586 BC, another one until 70 AD, and another one starting in 1948 AD. There is a Palestinian tragedy, however there are 23, 22 or 23 Arab states. Palestinian Arab is essentially another Arab, which is how they looked at themselves. Palestinian is a is a brand new national identity I don't deny it exists it's just brand new back in a moment.